I'm Chance Dorland, a master's student at the Walter Cronkite School at Arizona State University. I've worked in radio and podcasting since 2004, and I've run into a lot of bad advice when it comes to the industry of podcasting. As a master's student, I've dedicated a final project to building an educational resource for podcast law. You can refer to our beginning bonus episode for details, but basically, while I speak to some top experts in media law, these conversations are for educational purposes only, and you'll have to pay thousands of dollars to get actual legal advice. Here's Pod Law episode number one, where I speak to two of the country's top media law experts on what the laws are for radio broadcasters and how those general standards can be different for the digital world of podcasters. My name is Paul Safir. I'm a lawyer in Philadelphia. I currently practice with the media and entertainment group at a firm called Ballard Spar. I have been practicing media law for almost a decade at this point. I guess eight years is what I would say. Um, I've had significant experience defending uh, media companies against uh, libel suits and privacy suits. They've also done a good deal of work involving access to public records, um, either through FOIA-type lawsuits or um, directly seeking intervention in court proceedings. Um, And I regularly, as do all my colleagues, uh, vet and review uh, articles, stories, uh, video, et cetera, uh, prior to publication for liability risk. My name is David Oxenford. I'm a partner at the Washington, D.C. law firm of Wilkinson, Barker, Nauer, I represent broadcasters and digital media companies and have been doing it for several decades. Um, started out my career representing broadcasters, particularly on FCC issues and on transactions, buying and selling radio and TV stations, but have expanded over the last uh, probably 20 years into the digital media area, first on music licensing issues for broadcasters and webcasters, and uh, over the last uh, six or seven years, dealing a lot more with legal issues for podcasters as well. So in, in your own experience, in your own legal opinion, how is podcasting generally different than radio? Um, you know, from a technical standpoint, as someone who's worked in radio and podcasting for more than 10 years, you could have the exact same physical setup, and it could be a radio show, or it could be a podcast, or it could be both. So from a legal aspect, how are they different? From a strictly legal aspect, um, they are not different in the sense that the rules are the rules, right? Defamation is defamation, privacy violation is privacy violation, copyright violation is copyright violation. Nonetheless, there's certain norms and conventions associated with podcasting that I think can in some cases create heightened risks, risk for podcasting. So one example is that, you know, because podcasting space is maybe not infinite, but much um, more expansive than radio space, there's a sort of tendency among podcasters to sort of do serialized works and sort of show their work and think out loud. And that can be quite wonderful. Um, But that can also sort of create a special kind of liability risk. So I was thinking and preparing for this, I was thinking about the podcast S-Town, which a lot of us you know, listened to and enjoyed. Um, and one of the sort of delightful things they did in that podcast is, if you recall, the first two episodes were set up to be the story of a murder. And then the podcast completely swerved um, in a way that was sort of surprising and unpredictable. Um, that great made for great listening. But 
if you didn't listen to the whole podcast series, you just listened to the first and second episode, it really did seem to suggest that a person who didn't murder anyone at all might have murdered someone. Um, in radio, you would sort of, I think you'd do a less serialized treatment to the extent that you were sort of raising a question about whether a crime took place, you would sort of you know, raise and resolve that question in one discrete episode. Um, and that can create potential sort of the, the sort of elongated storytelling can create opportunities for risk. Um, in theory, the rule in defamation law is that a particular defamatory statement has to be reviewed in the context of a whole publication. So if there's one sentence in a newspaper article taken out of context suggests that you've committed some terrible crime and you try to sue me based on that, I would say to the court, look, you read the whole article and in the full context, it's clear what I meant. In the podcasting context, it really hasn't been litigated what counts as the full context. Is it one episode? Is it the entire series? So that's one area that I think is potentially different. Another example of sort of risks associated with inventions, if you think back to Serial, which is another very sort of celebrated podcast, that, at least the first season, which is the only one I listened to, did a lot of thinking out loud. The you know person producing it would toss out theories, explore them, reject them, um, and it made for great intriguing um, listening but there was sort of a looseness to it that you wouldn't necessarily get in a different format where you had to sort of more tightly sort of explain what your thesis was. Now, in theory, under defamation law, you know, tossing out conjectures, exploring them, assessing them should be protected opinion. The law permits you to sort of explore theories about what people did without necessarily making factual accusations. But there's a looseness to podcast narratives that I think um, creates some potential for risk. I think the final thing that's always struck me as different, and this is sort of an aspect of advertising law, is that advertising reads in the radio business tend not to be terribly personal. You'll just read radio copy. Um, you're not making representations. So sort of podcast advertising tends to center on personal narratives. I use Blue Apron. I like it. I you know use you know my pillow or whatever it is. I like it. And from the FTC perspective, that's fine as long as it's real, right? You can't, from an FTC perspective, you cannot say, you know, I've used this product and I enjoy it unless it's true. I mean, you know, if you haven't really enjoyed it that much, you're probably not going to get in trouble, but you certainly have to have used it. You, to the extent that your that podcast advertising is based on personal testimonials, those have to be reasonably accurate in a way. And the normal rule in advertising law is that this sort of, platform for the advertiser isn't responsible for the factual statements made in advertisements. So if some pharmaceutical company advertises in your magazine, you know, they're responsible for the truth of the claims, but you as the magazine publisher aren't. That changes when you advertise in the form of personal narrative, which happens a lot in the podcasting business. It's similar to sort of the law with regard to influencers, sort of Instagram influencers have to disclose, you know, that they're getting paid. That has to be sort of, they have to really have experience with what they're vouching for. And the same thing goes for podcast first person advertising. Well, really, I mean, free speech is a concept that applies to all media outlets, whether it's radio, TV, streaming, um, or newspapers, you know, uh, written publications. Um, I mean, the First Amendment is an overriding consideration in all those regulatory spheres. Um, the First Amendment is basically just saying that the government can't restrict what, what you're saying. Now, in the radio or television context, there are restrictions that grow out of the old scarcity doctrine that because there's a limited number 
of broadcast channels that can be made available to people because of the limits of the broadcast spectrum that the government can put more restrictions on the use of that spectrum in exchange for allowing certain companies to have the rights to use that spectrum. Those scarcity restrictions really don't apply in the same way to podcasting or webcasting or these other uh, audio sources where there is no scarcity, there is no FCC licensing regime. So you'll see regulations on the broadcast side that may uh, impose certain public interest obligations. It may impose uh, uh, restrictions on indecency, for instance, uh, and some other restrictions along those lines on broadcasters that really don't apply in the podcasting world. Uh, Indecency is what's regulated by the FCC. Obscenity is illegal in all contexts, not just in a broadcast context. Obscenity is not protected speech. It's the stuff that the Supreme Court has said uh, uh, is very hard to define, but the Supreme Court justices will know it when they see it. It's got no redeeming social significance. Indecency is a lesser standard where it... um, harps on sexual or excretory functions and is prohibited in the broadcast world because of the intrusive nature of broadcasting, because the broadcasting comes into your house um, without limitations, Uh, unlike uh, cable, unlike podcasting, unlike the internet, where you really have to go out and seek that content it's a download or an on-demand stream or broadcasting is considered to be more uh, intrusive because once you've got a TV set, you can flip it on and there it is. You don't make that conscious choice to go to a, a particular program and hear a particular stream. I think that's especially true in the online world where material is, is can be labeled uh, you know, for adults only or whatever that uh, um, indecency rules really don't apply there. Supreme Court has said it doesn't apply to cable because you have to take that extra step of paying for cable to invite it into your house. Um, And cable has all sorts of parental controls that can be activated where broadcasting traditionally has not had those controls. So indecency has been able to be regulated in the broadcast world, not in these other spheres, Obscenity, though, is illegal everywhere, but that's going to be a really high standard to find something to be obscene. It's got to be really, really dirty and have no redeeming social significance. That's a look at some general differences between radio and podcast law. Now that we've got the basics understood, next time we'll take a look at recording. Do guests need to sign a release? And... Can you record someone when they don't know? That and more on the next episode of Pod Law. I'm Chance Dorland.